This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018. Well, welcome and welcome back. Howdy. To episode three of Microscope. Season two. Dun, dun, dun. No, I don't. Is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not about to start wrestling. But, so, I think... Honestly, after the past two episodes that have come out, Kevin and I have heard a lot of good chatter yes. from people. Thank and you for your feedback. We want to engender these kind of conversations. That was kind of the whole point of Microscope to begin with. Yeah, it's like kind of exciting. Like most of my friends are coming up to me and they're just like, oh, well, okay, we have like the same friends. Yeah. <laughs> Even friends, you know, in other states. I think we had that... Um, Nice person from, I'm going to say Indiana, but I don't even know where she's from. Sounds but right. like she commented on our Facebook stuff and I was like, oh my God, that's so exciting. Yes. So thank Shout you. Shout out to you. Thank you. From Indiana. I don't know if either of us commented or replied to you. And we're sorry. Yeah. I'm so bad at social media. You can ask any family member or friend. Um, this is a big transition for me. So I thank you all for bearing with me and thank you for yeah. being so supportive through these trying times. Yeah. <laughs> these trying times, they're so hard. They're so So difficult. hard to post on Instagram <laughs> and respond on Facebook. It's rough, man. We're busy. <laughs> we have so many other things to do. Yeah. I was bad at it before I was busy too. I was, be I was good for a hot second. I was like, I'm going to do it once a month. Month. But then I realized I was like, "There's no reason." <laughs> like, <there's just> like, <laughs> but now there is because we have people now, interacting, and we thank you for uh, shouting out to us, yeah. listening to us, and talking about it with your friends and family. So that's a shout out to all our all our fans, and let's just get into this week's episode, which I think I say that every week. Let's just get into it. No, we'll just sit here in silence for a couple minutes exactly. and then just start talking. That's what gets the ratings. <laughs> So it gets our clicks. So, like I said in maybe our first episode, the next four episodes are all going to be focused on one topic. And this is a continuation of sort of this topic of food and like what we eat. And we want to talk about, in this episode in particular, vegetarian and veganism. And what those diets... What evidence is out there and what studies have been done that either promote, refute, or kind of just say they're in existence? <laughs> yeah. And specifically, are these really um, benefiting your health in a positive way? Or is this just uh, more of a sustainability or ethical decision to uh, take on a vegetarian or vegan diet? Exactly. So... Let's just break down a little bit on what we mean by vegan and vegetarianism. And so there's this actually really great figure um, from this paper by Evelyn Medwar, who is actually out of the Max Planck Institute, which Max Planck Institute in Germany, which is... It's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Like, (laughs) when a scientist hears Max Planck Institute, we're like, oh, oh, hi, how are you? (laughs) So you got a big dick. No, okay. (laughs) In our seeks. Precisely what that means. Exactly. So they published this really great paper, and we're going to go a little bit more in depth. But one of the figures really breaks down, like, sort of, like, different categories of diets for the human population. And so all the way to the right, if or no, all the way to the left, wait, 
okay, all the way to the right. <laughs> all the way to the right, they have a plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. And Purely vegan. You're only intaking fruits, vegetables, and the fats and carbohydrates contained within those. Exactly. And then if you want to have a little bit more animal-based it's called ovo-lacto-vegetarianism. And basically what that means is you're eating eggs, as in ovo, like the ovum, um, the human egg cell is called. So ovo, meaning any kind of eggs, chicken eggs, I don't know, people eat turkey eggs. I know people eat ostrich eggs. All those kind of eggs, maybe Wait, roe. Turkeys lay eggs? Don't I think they do. They lost their birds, but that was yeah. like something I never thought I don't know about. why I thought that. I just think of that as turkey's always a... Alternative to chicken or an alternative to beef, I guess, more so. In, in the grocery store, I was just grocery shopping, so I had it fresh in my mind. I don't know if anyone eats <laughs> motherfucking turkey eggs. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you do, please give us drop us a line. And send us some. I'm ready to try yeah, some. Yeah, I want to try these turkey eggs. I just, or maybe this is a huge untapped market that we just had no idea about. Or maybe some chicken eggs are, in fact, turkey eggs, and they're just roughly the same size, and they just it's a marketing thing. We're not saying that's true. <laughs> no, this is a hypothesis, as we say in the sciences. So, ovo-lacto-vegetarianism eats eggs and dairy products such as milk and or cheese and so on. So, these are animal-based products, but the, no animal was specifically slaughtered, slaughtered, slaughtered for let's these products. Just say it. <laughs> While they may have been... Um, grown and domesticated specifically for the production of these products they were not specifically killed to make these um unlike the final two categories of this food diagram which are basically broken down into pesco vegetarian which means that those individuals do eat fish and seafood products seafood products or seafood um or omnivores which i would consider myself an omnivore and they could eat Pretty much anything. Anything that's anything that is food. Well, anything. (laughs) Speaking of anything that's food, I spent like yesterday, not yesterday, maybe like two days ago, really in depth watching like my crazy addiction. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's like this wonderful series (laughs) on YouTube where people just eat crazy things and they like talk to people about like there was this one lady. She lost her child, and that's really sad, but. Because she lost her childhood, she got an addiction to, like, eating cornstarch. And she would hide, like, bags of cornstarch in her car, in her purse. Holy fuck. Yeah, yeah. I love that show. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine that. Um, But that one would fall under the vegan diet, I guess, because it's cornstarch. There's no animal products within that, I I guess. guess. Yeah. But so, yeah, that... That's essentially the scale of what people can eat. Yeah, that's and like the what... dietary spectrum when we're talking about an omnivorous person versus someone who uh, eats fish and the eggs and all that versus a strict vegan diet wherein you are only taking in plant-based products. No animals were even involved in it by any means um, in the production of those foodstuffs. Exactly, exactly. And so we focused on this one figure from this paper, but like... Let's talk a little bit about this paper. So just to reiterate, I don't think we said this already, but the title of this was The Effects of Plant-Based Diets on the Body and the Brain, a Systematic Review. 
Um, again, this was done by uh, Evelyn Medwar and her colleagues at the Max Planck Institute, uh, which is in Germany. I think I wrote that down. Yeah, it is in Germany. Sure is. It is. Have you ever been to Germany? I've never been to Germany. I haven't either. Yeah, maybe someday if I have a maybe interview at the Max Planck Institute. Not. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. So, okay. Last episode on the GMOs, or was it the one before that? We talked about how people. I forget. Yeah, <laughs> you should. That was like a month I couldn't ago. say that eye roll into the mic. I do. I have such a problem where I like forget something that happened like ten minutes ago. Like my yeah. brain is. It's running at a absolute overload. It's kind of sad, but that's that's just where I am right now. Okay, so what they did is they looked up, they searched in the entire database of scientific literature for anything that contained contained and compared vegan, vegetarian, and omnivore diets, and using very very strict. Uh, metrics for what papers to include and what papers to eliminate, they came to 32 studies. The nice thing about the 32 studies that they did use is that they're, they were all clinical trials. Hmm. So they took a group of, I think the largest one they had was close to like 96,000 people. Wow. It was one of these clinical trials. So they that's compared. That's heard of. That's a lot that of That takes people, a right? lot of coordination to get that many people to follow. Uh, was it a regimen diet? Was it an exercise routine? Um, that, that was just, that, that was like the max or the upper limit of the study participants. Yeah. I don't remember which one it is. Yeah, I could look one? it up, but yeah. So... You know, what they what these groups did in all these clinical trials is compare groups. So they took a group of vegans, they took a group of vegetarians, and took a group of omnivores, and they compared various things across the board. Um, some of the, I guess, key measurements that a lot of these studies did was look at sort of metabolic measurements. And when we say metabolic measurements, these are basically just like a... Oh, God, I can't think of the word right now. Physical. There we go. Yeah, when you so go to your doctor yeah. for physical, and they like take your height, they take your weight, yeah, they, they take, take the blood your pressure. Blood, your blood sample goes off for chemical analysis. They can see all the macro and micronutrients present in your bloodstream and what amounts. And all of these can be taken as metrics of your overall health. And when you sum that all together, you can get a pretty good picture of is someone healthy? Are they at risk for a certain disease? And so on. Exactly. Exactly. And to jump onto the findings of what they found uh, in this meta-analysis was that a plant-based diet does actually have a, I don't, I want to say this carefully, a good impact on your, on these metabolic measurements, which we can then interpret as they are good for your health and disease. Um, the other side to this paper is they also wanted to look at, so not only the metabolic measurements, but also the cognitive and mental effects mm -hmm. on this. And I guess the sad or the good or the just like indifferent part of that is that they really didn't find anything. Like it's actually unclear if having a very plant-based diet, whether it's vegan or vegetarianism, does not seem to affect um, your cognitive health in any way. And that's really funny. That's kind of very 
common with these meta-analyses wherein we're taking studies that were done all basically independently. They all had different um, standards of measurement, different uh, standards of what is a statistically significant result. And when you try to pull these all together and really compare them to one another, at sometimes in order to not be comparing apples to oranges, say, you really have to cut out a lot of the content and that can muddle everything. And so this is really not that surprising of an outcome from a meta-analysis of this magnitude that at the end of the day, nothing really had a statistically significant effect on their overall health, be it the vegetarian, vegan, or omnivorous diet. Exactly, Kevin. And when we were discussing the studies and we wanted to talk about it in our outline, we actually had this conversation how it's surprising that a lot of these meta-analysis studies, I don't want to say get published, but like we should put you know some trust in what they're doing. But when we look at the data we generate, you know, like you as a microbiologist, me as a biochemist slash it's microbiologist. very, it's like very specific. Very you just different. can't, especially when you're in um, dealing with people, there are certain limitations of um, how specific of questions we can ask, how invasive we can be. Uh, and these are all just ethical considerations, which are a great thing. I'm not downplaying the importance of that. It's just we're used to in our lab be able to flush all our bacteria down the drain. Exactly. Exa do whatever the hell we want to them. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> not down the drain, but into the autoclave. Into the autoclave. <laughs> and then into a bucket that just gets taken away yeah, yeah. by EHS. But then physicists and mathematicians are just like, what are these people doing, yeah, these biologists? Another you... level. They have to have their, their, their standards for statistical significance increase by orders of magnitude as you go into more specific fields. Yeah. Say. And that's really manifest here when we're at the polar other end of the spectrum where we've now taken studies that have already been done by other people and amalgamating them together and trying to make sense of all of that, we really have to have lenient or very liberal standards of what's significant here. And even with those standards, the outcome of this meta-analysis was there wasn't a super important or super significant difference between these different diet types. Exactly. And <clears throat> one thing that they did point out, and I think this is something people really need to take into consideration when they're reading these studies or like reading. I know we read studies. I, I think more people should train themselves to be able to read studies, but like a lot of people also just read like articles that they find on the internet. One, right? So like, yes, you read this, but when you're reading them, really take into consideration that a lot of these are effects are very unclear when it comes to these diets, especially in terms of like, we don't know if it's just certain nutrients in the foods that these people are eating or if it's the avoidance of certain nutrients, right? Instead of thinking it as everything globally, like, are there more, like, individual things we could pinpoint as to, like, the cause or benefit or the cause of the benefits or dangers that we see? <clears throat> and especially that, like, lifestyle is a big thing. Like, I, when I think of someone who's vegan or vegetarian... I think of them as just like 
living a more active lifestyle, which it's been shown many times that like a more active lifestyle leads to a healthy, you're a healthy being, right? So maybe it's not even the diet that has anything mm-hmm. to do with it. It probably does. Yeah. <laughs> like it probably does. It just goes to show <laughs> how hard it is to disentangle anything out of the immense intricate tapestry of human experience. We can't tell someone, all right, you're going to eat this diet, but you also have to sit motionless every fucking moment of your life. Um, for us at the microbial level, we'd say, yes, that would be one of the controls of our experiment that would be absolutely, absolutely crucial in order for us to say, yes, this antibiotic has this precise effect in this mechanism. We just can't ask people to give up their lives like that. There's no amount of money we can pay them, though some studies really try with the financial compensation. If you're going to be held in a chamber for six days, um, you get compensated oh God, quite nice. Intense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was um, Blake, another scientist in our circle we'll have to have on here one day. Uh, he has collaborators who actually do just that. They're having their... Uh, study participants actually live in a metabolic flux chamber, I believe it was called, where they can measure they measure the CO2. Measure the CO2 Ooh. they're breathing out because they have them live in this chamber for six days out of a month, the month that they're eating this um, specific high-fiber diet or just a normal diet. And then they're also um, comparing that to the microbiome. But that's just the lengths we have to go to gain the experimental control that we're just so used to in molecular biology exactly. of prokaryotes and microbes at least. It's also things that need to be done to really tease apart what the cause of certain things are doing. You know, like it's much easier to do it with like bacteria in a test tube. Mm-hmm. It's harder to do that when you're dealing with like people who have lives, you know? So <clears throat> okay. That was that study by our wonderful people at the Max Planck Institute. Mm-hmm. The next study looked at something near and dear to all of us, I think we think about, is how can we be making sure that we're putting ourselves at the lowest risk for heart disease and stroke? And I don't know if I've read this specifically in academic spheres, but I'm sure I've heard it at least anecdotally, is that, oh, you should really cut out red meat from your diet. It's really going to reduce that risk of heart attack or um, heart disease you heard that i've heard that and i also just think i know and i've heard that heart disease is like the number one killer in america absolutely yeah. maybe the world now that i'm thinking about it i think like people die from uh from heart stuff <laughs> heart's a pretty important organ if i can remember back to bio 101 yeah. i don't know we don't deal with shit that's got hearts, so this is a little out of our wheelhouse. We got we got semi-permanent membranes. Yeah. <laughs> Oxygen goes straight in there. We don't need no fucking hemoglobin. Right? Uh. <laughs> anyway, um, so kind of similar to the last study, um, this study entitled Risks of Ischemic Heart Disease, which is just the fancy term for the heart disease caused by arterial blockage and stroke in meat eaters, fish eaters, and vegetarians over 18 years of follow-up results from the perspective. Cut that. We're going to come in, back in, in a sec, after Mike checks his phone. No, go, go, go. Okay. We're going to come back in in three, two. 
This article entitled Risks of Ischemic Heart Disease, and that is just the heart disease caused by arterial blockage. The risks of ischemic heart disease and stroke in meat eaters, fish eaters, and vegetarians over 18 years of follow-up. Um, that's a pretty big number. 18 years is a long time for any study. I know that's what my PhD feels like right now. I'm not <laughs> even dealing with whole, full people. Again, just single cells. Um, and they really don't need as much love and care as a whole entire I don't know, when you have 216 babies like I do, you Yeah, yeah. I'm not even like that, man. I got like, (laughs) I got like six and they're all (laughs) brothers. (laughs) So some of the things they looked at in this study were the, just basically correlation between what were these people's diets and did they suffer from any of the signs of onset of heart disease or any of the main contributors to heart disease? Namely, the biggest one they talked about in the discussion is the ratio of low-density lipoprotein carbohydrate to high-density lipoprotein carbohydrate. So um, LDL versus HDL. I think we've all heard this tossed around at the doctor's office and stuff. In quotations, good and bad cholesterol. Good and bad cholesterol. So yeah, I just wanted to break those down because for me, this was also my first time ever reading about these in any detail. And uh, let's start with the the final L in LDL, lipoprotein. So that's a two-part word. Lipo is derived from the term lipid, which is a fat. Um, So the fats, it's the compositional uh, molecule of the cell membrane. So when you have a lipoprotein, that is a single molecule that has both a lipid domain and a protein domain. So these are able to be embedded. Chime in real quick. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not sure if it's a single molecule. I think it's like a globule of something. Yeah. Like I think it's like a protein that holds a bunch of fat. Yeah, it's the vibe I got from there was that there's a protein core with long chain fatty acids hanging off, and those can scoop up cholesterol from the the arteries. So the low-density lipoproteins can't scoop up as much cholesterol from the arteries as high-density lipoproteins, and therefore having a high high density to low-density lipoprotein ratio in your bloodstream is beneficial in clearing of cholesterol and limiting the risk of having those arterial plaques of cholesterol. So in looking at all of these meat eaters versus vegetarians versus vegans, in the light of this story of the fact that a high high density lipoprotein to low density lipoprotein ratio can really mitigate the harmful effects of arterial blockage, Uh, What they found was that the vegetarians and vegans actually had a marginally significant aversion to the heart disease condition. And that can be partially attributed because, in fact, in the blood tests of these individuals, they had that canonical healthy um, high HDL to LDL ratio. So that was one of the actually mechanistic understandings of this uh, happening that they were able to tease out even from this very complex data set. Um, But in contrast to the lowered risk of ischemic heart disease in the vegetarian and vegan population looked at in this study, they actually found that even though these individuals had low LDL compared to their HDL ratio, 
they actually had a higher risk of hemorrhagic stroke and the researchers weren't quite able to tease out a mechanistic hypothesis as to why that was. Um, could be a difference in, in clinical manifestation and pathology of hemorrhagic stroke, um, specifically blood being cut off to the brain versus any other artery in the body being clogged by just the general um, buildup of cholesterol there. Um, so those were what seemed to be completely contradictory findings from the same study, and that's not all that uncommon in science. That one thing will clearly say this, another way of looking at it will say the complete opposite thing, and we have to somehow come to terms with that. That actually ties into what the previous study said in that maybe the overall diet is too broad of a category and maybe it has more to do with like individual nutrients that they see. Yeah, specifically, actually, this heart disease study also looked at that or commented on that in their discussion section. And they said that the vegetarians and vegans participating in, in this cohort, they actually had lower circulating levels of several nutrients, uh, such as vitamin B12, um, vitamin D, uh, essential amino acids, and long-chain N3 polysaturated fatty acids. So each one of those individually perhaps could be contributing. Um, so let's think about, I always like to think biochemically, these long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids could very well serve as a precursor to HDL or LDL. Um, not a super um, intense student of eukaryotic lipid synthesis pathways, but that strikes me as something that could be a member of. Did you not have to take biochemistry? I didn't have to take eukaryotic biochemistry. Our biochemistry class was bacterial physiology and biochemistry in one year. It was kind of a, it's kind of a. Yeah, I got my, so my master's was in biochemistry, so I had to take like a very eukaryotic driven, in fact, only eukaryotic driven, because yeah. like, God forbid we think about what the larger proportion of the planet is. <laughs> most of life on Earth is <laughs> Sorry, I'm not jaded in any yeah. way, shape, or form. <laughs> no, we don't see that as rampant anthropocentrism. Uh, so awesome, yeah. And we had, I had this little like segue, which I was hoping the talking about this paper was gonna go in a different way. It didn't, whatever, move on. <laughs> But so I have some exciting news to tell everybody. And I think you saw on what is it? Maybe my Instagram profile or something. But like, whatever. I do CrossFit. That's I don't want to sound like an asshole when I say that. Trust It, it fucking shows. <laughs> Jerk. No, I'm, I'm an <laughs> asshole. I'm like a horrible human being. But it's not because I need to socialize and work out with people and be told what to do. I was talking about the work of the gains, son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, fuck. Girl, this motherfucker just did a handstand and walked three feet in front of me. That's what I was like, going to say. Can do it. <laughs> yeah, so yesterday we were doing handstand walks and it's where you like literally walk on your hands and I've been practicing this for like, I would say like at least a year, you know, like trying to first stand up or get on my hands by a wall then like get off of the wall. And yesterday I walked like three feet and I was like so excited. It was like a great day. So how are we going to link this back to vegetarianism? (laughs) Well, this other paper that we found wanted to look at, you know, does actually this type of diet affect someone's ability to work out, right? Like do, does your diet or can a diet affect 
your ability to have certain gains no. yes. <laughs> <laughs> gains in like the gym so this study was done hold on where did it go okay so the title of the study was exercise capacity of vegan lacto ovo vegetarian and omnivorous recreational runners so these are just runners who like run every day we're not talking about marathon runners did you see that guy who ran yeah, the Boston marathon? marathon? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. murdered the oh, record. God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Ah, speaking of marathon runners, this is a shout out to my brother who, I think that was two years ago because I was still in Delaware at that point. He, or maybe a year ago, I don't know, time is irrelevant at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he ran the New York Marathon. So. <laughs> yeah, I, can do that shit. I can run one mile. I'm gonna get when he hears this. I'm gonna get a nasty text message. Okay, so, <laughs> moving on. So this study was done by Josephine Nebel uh, and her colleagues, and they're from the Lisbon University in Germany. And they actually did a their own clinical trial. So it was a cross-sectional study where they took vegetarians. Omnivores and lacto-ovo vegetarians. That was great because um, they got equal numbers of each. That must have been hard to find. Yeah, that exactly. Was that exactly. was probably the, one of the harder parts of the study. Yeah, and you know, they were just like, okay, we have these three groups of people. Let's look at what their nutrient intake has been over the past twenty-four hours. And just like you would expect, people who eat very different diets are going to have different nutrient intake. And they do. They did show that there was a significant difference in the nutrient intake by these individuals. Mm -hmm. So after they did that, then they had them bicycle, bike, ride on a bike. What's the verb of biking? Oh, bike. biking. Bike. <laughs> <laughs> biking okay. is the noun. To bike, the to infinitive bike. form of the verb. Aren't you trying to learn Spanish? I'm trying to learn infinitive Spanish. Infinitive forms uh, and all that. There's so many things on my mind. Okay, so they had these three individual groups ride on a bike um, or a bicycle ergometer, which I think like measures or something, or maybe it's like an air bike. I don't know. Should have looked that up. <laughs> so they would ride on this bike until they voluntarily wanted to get off. And throughout this time, while they're on the bike, they measured both uh, lactate and glucose. Mm -hmm. So the importance behind both of these molecules is as you work out, your muscles produce lactic acid. Mm -hmm. So the longer you work out, you'll have more lactic acid in your muscles. So they were testing for higher levels of that in the blood. I love talking about that. That's the burn you feel. That is the acidity it's acid, of yeah. lactic acid. Is your muscles are literally producing an acid, and it fucking burns. And that is the the burn that you feel. It is a literal chemical burn. I is love that what the soreness that. is after you work out? Absolutely, the residual burn from that. Yeah, it's crazy. I love talking about that. You can feel because you can feel biochemistry happening firsthand. When you think about lactic acid. Kevin, that was beautiful. That was, you can feel biochemistry. I'm going to get that tattooed. <laughs> and then you right can, on my forearm. And you'll feel it while you're doing CrossFit. Oh, <laughs> fuck <laughs> So, okay, lactic acid, right? So that's what lactic acid does. And then glucose is like the main source of energy mm -hmm. for the body. So, so as your muscles are going, you're burning glucose and producing lactic acid. So what you should expect as you work out is your levels of glucose should go down and your levels of lactate should go up. And 
They found that. They, they found saw exactly that. That was that. exactly that. But furthermore, even more surprising is these are beautiful graphs with beautiful fucking these consistency. I wish my data looked like this. Um, because it doesn't. It doesn't. Although they tested both the all the vegetarians, omnivores, and the lacto-ovo vegetarians. They all look the same. All these lines follow the same trajectory, um, both in lactate accumulation and glucose depletion as they were working out. There was literally, you can see these from are beautiful a mile away, these there was no difference whatsoever between the different dietary regimens and their response to this continued exercise. Yeah, that, it's, they did a wonderful job. Oh, I don't know if they did a wonderful job, but like, <laughs> I think their results are very... Yeah. Like, yes, I believe this. Yeah. You could look at this graph from 10 feet away and say, obviously, there's no difference whatsoever. Obvi. 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 Fuck, that's a throwback. What fucking show was that from? I don't... I think that was just like a 90s thing that everybody did. Or like, that was high school for me. Shit. Or maybe that was... Clarissa knows it all. Clarissa that, explains it all. Oh, Clarissa explains That's a throwback. <laughs> Fuck. If anyone knows where Obvi came from... Drop us a line. Just let us know. Please. God damn. We need to know. We are uncultured swine. <laughs> uncultured swine. High five. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we've been talking about how beautiful these graphs are, but what these graphs actually show is that there is no difference in energy capacity between these groups. So I think that, again, this is one study, but, you know, it kind of gives strength to the fact that, like, Maybe diet doesn't really have an effect on, yeah. you know, your ability to work out. Although I do want to point out that these are recreational runners. So they're, tra uh, so they're training consistently. So maybe we can't see any differences in diets because they've just honed their body to be able to work with what work it's getting. To work yeah. with what it's getting, exactly. Again, taking into consideration that there's more variables to consider than just like bulk diet, you know. Um, yeah, that was a good episode. Hell yeah! Thanks, Kevin. I really enjoyed it. Thank we're you we're so shaking much hands right now. Yeah. Oh yeah, you all could totally see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's just goes to show, like, ever. I don't know if anyone's vegan has encountered. Uh, how can you be sure you're getting all everything you need and how do you have the energy to go about your day if you're not eating any animal products whatsoever here is an empirical demonstration that maybe there's not as much um, weight behind that kind of um, stance a lot of people take for granted is like I wouldn't be able to go about my day and function normally if I cut out all meat or all animal products from exactly. my diet but exactly. these data say the contrary yeah I so from my own opinion or personal experience I guess like I am okay and try to eat meat actually sometimes because I think I see it as a very nutrient dense food mm -hmm. and like I'm probably a wacko and like I see food as like fuel for my body that's not that's the most sane <laughs> opinion of it I've ever heard. Well, no, some people are just like I just eat food because it's delicious. I mean I eat food because it's oh, delicious exactly. too. I'm no, not trying I to follow say in, that I fall like, into group B there. Of just like, oh this is delicious, I'm gonna eat it. Yeah. I feel like maybe I like 
seven out of ten times I'll eat to fuel my body as opposed to just. It doesn't show. That's God good. does Get it the fuck not out. show. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's all about a mindset. So as as you guys know, we like to close every episode with sort of like a take home message, and we had a we had an issue, not an issue, but like we struggled sort of like coming up with something to talk about because hopefully you guys don't think that this episode was like in favor of one or the other because I yeah. feel like it was very like I think we <laughs> this was pretty like planted our feet as being neutral as on the subject. neutral as all hell yeah <laughs> so I think the big take home message is just like eat more veggies like eating more veggies they're high in fiber so you're gonna have good bowel movements, and everybody loves a good BM. Anything like. <laughs> for that, yeah. In addition to the the micronutrient deficiencies they talked about in the second paper we talked about here, um, getting all your vitamins and other micronutrients like that. Very easy way to do that. Also, vegetables are delicious. Um, just less processed foods, kind of like we talked about last time with the organic or um, versus GMO and all that. Nothing new. Nothing you guys don't already know. All right. Thank you all for joining us and have a good couple weeks. Yep. We will catch you then. Stay following us on the gram and the book. <laughs> we'll hit stay, you back. <laughs> stay classy, microscope followers. Oh, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll work on that one. Take it easy, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Microscope, presented by Whatever You Say Productions. Learn more at microscopepodcast.com. That's M-I-K-R-O-S-C-O-P-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com.